Tere, and welcome to History of Estonia podcast, episode 26, The Russification of Estonia and Freedom from Serfdom. In this episode, we will follow the lives of Estonians in the 19th century. Estonians had been under Russian rule since the Great Northern War, which in our timeline is roughly 150 years. A new normalcy had settled in, and many Estonians felt that it would be advantageous to embrace their new rulers, rather than fight them. We are roughly halfway through our timeline of the book, History of Estonia, published in 1997 and written by Matti Lauer, Tonis Lukas, Ein Messolu, Agu Payer, and Tonu Tonberg. When I first introduced myself on this podcast, I mentioned I was in a business that was very busy at times and very slow at others. Well, my confession to you is, I am in the swimming pool business. That is only relevant to you, my listeners, because April is upon us. I started the podcast in the fall, and it is now gearing up towards summer. I was always planning on taking the summer off so that I could concentrate on what pays the bills for my family. It seems like I'm stumbling into this break because of the outbreak of the novel Coronavirus-19. It has thrown everybody's routine off around the world. For the future listeners, if you haven't heard of the coronavirus, good. That means it didn't turn out to be as devastating and memorable epidemic as they feared. At this point, I don't plan on starting back up until fall unless I find some extra time to do some standalone episodes that I call in my mind the Estonian Stories segment of the podcast, which is something that I am really looking forward to. But for now, let's jump back into our timeline and learn about how Estonians adapted to their everyday norm of Russian rule. Peasant Disturbances in Southern Estonia The regulations of 1816 and 1819 hindered the development of the farm economy. The farmers lost their guarantee of permanent settlement in their farms, thus had little motivation to build new houses, cultivate the land, or improve the soil. The number of cottagers who relegated themselves to small cottages on the outskirts of a farm increased. Such lifestyle provided a meager living, but they were free from the burdens of farmers and duties to manors. In 1814, a crop failure struck the land, followed by a famine. Rumors spread among the people, already driven to despair, that in Russia, free land was being distributed to everyone who requested it. Hundreds of peasants flocked to Riga, the capital of the province, to sign up. In Riga, the peasants were treated well at first. Officials officials explained that there was no hope to get any land and urged them to go home. However, as the peasants became more restless in the manors, the nobility once again called on the military for help. The arrival of troops added fuel to the fire. A serious incident, the so-called Puhajarve War, took place in September 1841, at the manor of Puhajarve, 
in Atupa. The peasants hindered the arrest of the comrades, who were deemed guilty of instigating unrest. Although the activities of peasants were limited to hiding in the woods and skirmishes around the manor armed with clubs, they were severely punished. Thirty peasants were sentenced to 500 lashes, while six were sent to labor camps in Siberia. The interest in emigration continued in the years to follow. Shoemaker Gustav Jurgensen from Voru announced that the new homeland would yield three crops a year, with the third being so thick that it had to be cut like wood and straw could be used instead of firewood. The spreader of such rumors was deported to Siberia, but this, is, but this aroused the population. Legislation prevented Estonians from settling in Russia. Some peasants managed to reach Peskov, though were later arrested and returned to Livonia. The peasants blamed their landlords for their failure, but believed that the state wanted to improve their situation. From the 1840s, growing potato became common in peasant farms as well. Potatoes became one of Estonians' main dishes which also put an end to frequent famines. However, there were a few years where both the normal harvest and the potato crop failed. At the same time, farms in southern Estonia started to grow flax on a large scale. Most of the new converts belonged to the poorer parts of the population. They often became a joke to wealthier peasants. The latter laughed at the required cross around the neck. What sort of a man are you now? You look like a dog with a bell around the neck. New Christian names of Russian origin also aroused alienation. Yuhan became Yefim, Thomas became Timofey, Willem became Vaili, Lenu became Yelena, etc. Orthodox customs like kissing the cross or worshipping icons with candles remained alien to most of the new converts. When they realized finally that they would not get any land, the disappointment was great and peasants wanted to return to Lutheranism. However, the government strictly opposed this. Some of the converts went back to the Lutheran church secretly. Eventually, history shows that orthodoxy would not really take root among the Estonian people. Development in Estonian Society in the Middle of the 19th Century New Regulations for Peasants Economic difficulties and new peasant disturbances forced the nobility to revisit the question of the peasantry. The more conservative part of the nobility considered it important to revert to the regulations of 1804. On one hand, this would have meant the re-imposition of serfdom, which would guarantee manners with a sufficient workforce. On the other hand, this would have restored the hereditary right to farms, which would give a greater sense of stability to farmers. Baron Hamikar von Fulkersum of Ruyenne offered a more radical solution. His supporters saw a rapid transformation to a capitalist management system. As, as the solution, monetary rent had to be introduced and workers at the manor fields 
must be hired. The next step was to sell the farms for perpetuity. The new Livonian Peasant Regulation, published in 1849, reorganized the entire manor and farm economy. Farmers were relieved from work in manor fields and could now manage their own households with all their devotion. Farmers must now decide how to manage their farm effectively, learn to consider the price and demand at the market, and how to handle money. All of this, of course, required enterprising spirit, activity, and economic know-how. Some peasants were not willing to abandon statute labor since it was organized by the manor and did not require any initiative. However, the majority of peasants were willing to accept the new regulations. They began looking into ways to raise their incomes and adapted to market conditions. The consolidation of peasants' land into lots from disconnected plots helped enable a more effective use of land. Enterprising peasants also saved money and thought about purchasing their farms for perpetuity. The transition to monetary rent and selling of farms also enabled the landlords to reorganize their establishments. Instead of statute laborers, wage earners, or manor farmhands, started to work the manor fields. This allowed the purchase of better machinery for agriculture. Distilleries and dairies and manors also got new equipment. This also enabled the improvement of the soil, fertilization of fields, improvements of breeding, and even plant breeding. Similar peasant regulations were adopted in 1856 in Estonia and in 1865 on Saramaa. In the 1860s, the reforms continued to be favorable for the peasantry. In 1865, the landlords were prohibited from punishing peasants. In 1868, the transition to monetary rent was complete as statute labor could no longer be exchanged for farmland rent. The Community Law of 1866 liberated the self-governance of peasants from landlord supervision. In this state, Estonians could take their fate into their own hands with self-governance, as well as an economic life. The Livonian Peasant Regulations of 1849 prescribed the way and conditions in detail for buying farms for perpetuity. It actually concerned the right to decide whether to sell the farms and to whom and at what price of which the rights belonged to the landlords. Farms could be sold to peasants from elsewhere. Although some farms had been sold for per perpetuity earlier, a large-scale process started in the 1850s. In 1853, the landlord of Abia sold the farms of two villages to peasants for perpetuity. Within a couple years, the selling of land spread all over South Estonia reaching its peak at the turn of the 1860s to 1870s. The money for purchasing came mostly from growing flax. While grain prices dropped in the middle of the 19th century, flax prices remained high. In some farms, so much land was under flax that one even had to buy grain from the manor for personal needs. There were cases of orchards hacked down to cultivate flax. 
some well-off farmers were able to purchase their farms immediately. Usually only parts of the sum was paid up front, with the remainder paid back over decades as debt to the landlord. It was not rare for the purchase to be forfeited due to debts. In North Estonia, the selling of land for perpetuity took place 15 to 20 years later than in South Estonia. It did not start in Sarama until the first decades of the 20th century. Potato growing was a major source of income for North Estonian peasants. Selling land for perpetuity signified a revolutionary change in the life of country folk. Estonians were no longer economically dependent on their landlords and have become once again the full masters of their own land. Now peasants could build new houses or improve the soil with assurance. Farmer societies, which introduced progressive farming among the peasantry, were founded all across Estonia. The second half of the 19th century signified a boom in shipbuilding. The coast of Hadamested in Pernu region, situated in a large forest, became the main shipbuilding center. Ships were also built on the northern coast, especially in Lehema. Ships were used mostly for coastal shipping. They were used for carrying stones and firewood to Riga and plaster to St. Petersburg. The ships also sailed to Finland and Sweden. As most of the skippers of such ships had no special training and got their bearing by coastal signs rather than charts, they were called wild captains. The most famous wild captain was in Uitoe, from the island of Kitnu, called Kitnu John by the people. Smuggling also brought good income. Peasants of the northern coastal area exchanged grain in Finland for salt that could be resold in Estonia or Russia with at least fourfold profit. Trained sailors were needed for longer voyages. Navigation schools were founded in many places, the most famous being in Ainazi in 1864. Men who graduated from such schools sailed the oceans. In 1868, the Matador was the first Estonian ship that sailed to America. Seafaring was dangerous and hard work, but also brought wealth, the broadening of outlook in seeing strange and faraway countries offered by seafaring was even more important. So this is where we will leave our timeline for a while. I look forward to picking up where we left off in either late summer or fall. If anyone would like to say Tere, you can reach me at sparsleyw at gmail.com. That's sparsley, like the herb or vegetable, w at gmail.com. So until next season, Nagamisini.